0: Hey, well, good morning, family. Good morning. Good, morning. good morning. The Lord reigns. Yes, the earth is established. It shall never be moved. We come here to worship the name of God today. If you would grab your Bibles, open them up uh, 1 John chapter 4. First John, it's in the back of the Bible, all right, First John chapter 4, that's where we're going to be this morning. Our church is taking some time uh, to celebrate the different themes of Advent right now. Uh, last week, we focused on hope, and today we're going to focus our thoughts on love. Love. If you would, please give your attention to the reading of God's Word. First John 4, verses 7 through 11. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Hmm. Heavenly Father, thank you for being a good God and for being our perfect Heavenly Father. We love you. That's why we come here today, to worship your name. And we thank you that you have loved us. God, I pray that you would help us see and actually behold how great your love is toward us today. We need you to help us even see that and understand that. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come in power. Um, God, uh, help me speak in a way that is very clear and illuminating and puts you on display a way that it would be helpful for your people, speak to our hearts and change our lives through your love. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, when you take a uh, sightseeing trip, there's basically two main ways that you can you can go about doing a trip or taking and planning the trip. One way to plan the trip is to plan it and to see it like it's a bucket list item. Do you know what I mean? the the trip is basically it's a challenge it's a challenge that is to be conquered you're supposed to check this off your list and so what do you do you pack the trip with as many historical landmarks and you try to get as many miles under your belt as fast as you can before your time's up and by the way you better make sure you snap some photos so that you can remind yourself later that you were actually at some of these historical landmarks well the, the other way is this the other way is to immerse yourself in a culture. To sit there in that culture and try to understand it. You pick one, maybe two cities or towns to spend all your time and your money in and you just soak. You soak up the sights and the sounds that are going on around you and the flavors that you're tasting and the history of the place and of the people and you examine and, and, and observe the rhythm and pace of life among the people that you're with. You've been talking to some of the locals in that region. See, there, are, there is a big difference, guys, between glancing at Edinburgh Castle as you walk down the path on your way to another tourist site and taking time to enter in through the ancient stone archways. And you see the view below through the very same slit, slit windows that archers did hundreds of years of, ago. And you let your mind wander as you look at that view on Castle Rock, and you go, What were those archers thinking as they defended Edinburgh Castle from the English? One is a glance, the other is beholding Edinburgh Castle. You feel what I'm talking about? There's a big difference between taking a quick selfie outside the walls of the Colosseum in Rome and allowing yourself the time to actually stand in the middle of the Colosseum to see what our Christian brothers and sisters saw right before they died. One is a glance. The other is beholding the awesomeness of the Colosseum, the fact that it's even still standing See, friends, the problem with glancing our way through life is that it gives us the impression that we've looked at something without having actually seen it. Do you know what I'm talking about? And here's the thing. We talk a lot about God's love at Christmas, don't we? It's a really common theme for us to discuss and think about and talk about. But the danger, I believe, this season is that we pack our days so full of activities, so full of events, that we only glance at the love of God instead of allowing ourselves the time and the space and even the silence to behold the awesome love of God towards us. You see, we cannot see God's love for the treasure that it actually is until we behold it. We must behold it in order to treasure it. And this is exactly what the angels instruct us to do in Luke chapter 2 when they announce to the world God's love towards us in the birth of Jesus Christ. They use that wonderful ancient word, behold. It's a great word. Look at Luke 2 verse 10 and the angel said to the shepherds I said to them fear not for behold that's an instruction that is directing their attention to something for behold I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people You see to behold something is to focus our attention on something so we can truly see what we're actually looking at And that's what God wants you and I to do It's a blessing for us to do this. You see, Christmas invites you and I to slow down and behold the love of God towards us so that we might treasure it. Because when we treasure it, we'll, we'll actually be changed by it. Here's three questions I have this morning that'll help us behold God's love. Whom does God love How has God loved us, and what does his love do for us? Whom, how, and what? So first, whom does God love? God loves people who sin. God loves people who sin. Let's look at the text, verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. God loves people who sin. This truth is so obvious and it is so foundational to Christianity that it is easy for us to miss the glory and the wonder of it. It's so easy for that truth just to become just kind of white noise humming along in the background of our lives. Of course, God loves people who sin, we might say to ourselves. Of course he loves people who sin. Everyone's a sinner, so whom else would he love? Well, the answer to that might surprise you. He could have been content with loving himself perfectly since eternity passed. You see, the Bible tells us that God exists and has always existed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is love. He never became love. He doesn't possess love. He is love, and he's always been love, which requires relationship. God is love because he's always been in community with himself, expressing perfect love to each member of the Godhead before he ever decided to create humans and then choose to love us. God didn't have to love you and love me. He chose to. God decided to extend his love as perfect as it was beyond himself to people who do not love him back. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that incredible? You and I don't love like that, do we? We don't act that way. God loves people who are decidedly in love with the things of this world and not Him. People like you and me. Verse 10 uses the word propitiation to describe how God loved us. Propitiation alludes to a sacrifice. The sacrifice that takes away judgment. It takes away punishment for sins. In other words, God loves people who deserve to be punished for the things that they do to him, to one another, and to his good creation. So let, let me try to demonstrate how scandalous it is that God loves people who sin by giving some specific examples, all right? Because this is amazing Love. God loves people who cheat on their taxes and they feel really good about it. God loves people who game the welfare system so they don't have to work. He loves them. God loves people who get drunk. God loves people who get high. And God loves people that sell drugs. God loves people who love money more than they love him. God loves people who love their free time more than they love him. God loves people who love their hobbies way more than they love him. God loves people who sin. God loves people who commit murder. God loves people who commit acts of terrorism. God loves people who pass and enforce unjust laws instead of just laws like they should. God loves racists and bigots. God loves people who lie and smile while they're doing it. God loves people that consume pornography and make pornography. God loves people that are sexually promiscuous with the body that he gave them. God loves people who sin. God loves the religious hypocrites People who worship his name on Sunday and deny him by their lifestyle on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. God loves the religious Pharisees, people who go to church every Sunday, memorize large portions of scripture, obey all the rules, and think they're morally superior to everyone else because of it. This is whom God loves. Those who live and walk in unrighteousness. Isn't that amazing? You know what that means? That means God's love is for you and for me. You qualify for God's love. Isn't that good news? Behold the love of God for you. Secondly, how has God loved us? Verse nine says this, in this is love, he's about to give the definition, in this is love, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Since God is love, God gets to define what love is, right? Not you, not me, not the culture, Not my mom and dad. God gets to define what love is. And he says that true love is not merely an act, not merely an emotion, but rather it's an act. It's an action that we perform. Love is sacrificing something sacred. If there is no sacrifice, you ought to question whether that was love or not. Because love is sacrificing something sacred. God has acted toward us in a way that is indisputably loving. He sent His only Son into the world to be the sacrifice for our sins so that we might live through His Son. To say that God loves people who sin is not saying that He chooses to overlook their sins. It doesn't mean that He pretends that those things never happen. That's not love. Nor does it mean that He excuses their sins. And this declares, well, you know what? They're just not that bad. They're not that terrible. Now, if God were to act in this way, he would be unloving because he would be unjust. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. That's the the right payment for sins, death. Our sin is an offensive affront to God first. And foremost. Why? Because He made us. He created us. He gave us a clear path of life, of happiness, satisfaction, joy, and we rejected Him. And we still do. The penalty for rebelling and turning God's good creation into a mess is to be cut off from God forever. So, how is God going to fully judge our sin with death? without destroying us in the process? That's kind of a conundrum, isn't it? The answer is by offering an incredibly unique, one-of-a-kind sacrifice, a sacrifice that is so unique that it cannot be found anywhere else in the universe. This sacrifice must be morally perfect and it must be of the purest quality to pay for all of our sins and since only God is morally perfect this sacrifice must be truly divine it's got to be but it also must be human if it's going to pay for human sins it's got to represent us in some way otherwise it does not apply to us in our life or our sins Neither an animal nor an angel can pay for what a human has done. This sacrifice must be truly human. Truly God, truly human, at the same time, but with no mixture. Now that's that's not a sacrifice you can buy on Amazon, all right? You can't go to Costco and pick one of those up. You guys feel this? That's a very unique kind of gift. That's a unique sacrifice. There's only one person in the entire universe that fits these stringent qualifications, and it is Jesus Christ, the God-man, the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Here is how God loved us, brothers and sisters. God sent into the world his rarest treasure, the most sacred thing that he had, his one and only son to die in our place. Christmas reminds us that Jesus was born to die for us. And so let's not glance at this fact and then look away to some other Christmas attraction. Let's behold, let's rivet our attention on this for just a few minutes. Let's behold the fact that God showed his love by sacrificing something sacred for us. We need to understand this because God did not send one of many sons to be the sacrifice for our sins. God wasn't up in heaven thinking, okay, here's my plan. I can afford to give Jesus away because I've got a hundred other sons just like him here. I, you know, No big loss. I can absorb that. It'll be great. That is not what God was thinking and that is not what God did. We live in a digital age and so this, the, our technology and how we see reality it affects what we value and how we ascribe value to things. We need to understand this. Our digital age that we live in, it's very easy and painless to make a copy of something on our computer or on our hard drive or on a disc, right? So if we lose the original, hey, no worries. We got an exact copy that is indistinguishable from the original file. There's nothing sacred about a digital copy. Why? Because it works just as well as the original. That's why no one's gonna ever pay you for your digital mp3 music library but they might give you a few bucks for some analog for some vinyl the digital is the copy is indistinguishable from the original but here's how God's loved God has loved you and I brothers and sisters when God sent the most sacred thing that he possessed to make his children he sent the original oh and with no backup copy this had to work This had to be effective. Do you feel the weight of that? Do you feel the preciousness of that? I want you guys to get this. God took a genuine loss to gain you and me. God loved us by sacrificing something sacred. Unfortunately, this mind-blowing fact gets obscured with how we sentimentalize the the manger scene, the little baby Jesus in the manger. But this is what Christmas has always been about. Jesus was given to die for our sins. As the old hymn says, how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, Where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. The Father had no one like the Son, perfectly obedient, perfectly loyal, perfectly willing, perfectly submissive, perfectly holy perfectly righteous in every action and step that he took what a perfect joy to have a son like that and he gave him up for us now how do we know what love is and how do we know that God really has shown love towards us well Christmas shows us the way God gave away his absolute best. God did not sacrifice something with a spot or a blemish that he was wanting to get rid of anyway, and that's why he offered Jesus to you and me. That's not what he did, guys. God did not do that. God did not offer us something off the divine discount rack because it had lost value along the way for him. God sacrificed the most sacred thing he had to atone for the most profane thing in you and me. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is amazing love. That is otherworldly love, uncommon love. Behold the love of God towards you. Yes, you. Even you. Thirdly, what does God's love do for us? What does God's love do for us? We can be empowered to love others. God's love is a very empowering thing. It empowers us to love other people. Look at the text right here, verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us when we quit glancing and we take time to gaze at God's love towards us when we direct our distracted hearts through word and sacrament to behold the love of God towards us it shapes us into very different people over time God's love empowers us to love other people did you know that? You see there's something that it's altogether satisfying about regularly encountering God's love in the gospel. This is why we gather every 7 days to do this. To be exposed to the love of God in a very unique way. To know that God fully loves you, though you do not fully love him, and to know the monumental sacrifice he made in order to love you forever, that, sacrifice, that, that satisfies your need and my need to be loved because we all want to be loved, amen? And this is what satisfies that need in us. No one else has loved you like God has loved you, and no one else will love you like God loves you. And there's something altogether satisfying when you realize that. That over time, week in and week out, that starts to make sense to you and the penny starts to drop. So what happens? Well, as we encounter that love over and over, week in and week out, we don't feel like we need that kind of love from others as much. And guess what happens? that empowers us to love other people, even people that are difficult to love, really hard to love. And you know why? Because we're no longer looking at them as potential sources to get love, but we're now looking at them as potential candidates to be shown the love that God has given to us. Does this make sense, family? This is transformative. You can get this. This Christmas, you very well may find yourself around people that are difficult to love. Maybe you don't even want to really love them, but they share a name with you, and you've got to love them. You may be sharing space with a child that you have not spoken to in months or years, and you have some difficult conversations you need to have around the Christmas table when they show up because they just announced, I'm coming home. Maybe for you, it's a sibling, it's a brother or sister. They really, for some reason, they enjoy pointing out mistakes in your past when, all the precious people of your life are in the same room. They love bringing that thing up in your past back up and laughing about it. Or maybe it's a parent. It's a parent that is just abrasive to be around. You know what I mean? They just tear you down with the comments that they make or the jokes that they make at your expense. And that's that's who you're going to be sharing space and oxygen with those people this Christmas. What gives you and I the power to love people that treat us like that? It's reminding ourselves of how God loved us when we treated Him like that. It's the gospel is the only thing that gives us the power to do that. But here's the deal, guys: reminding ourselves of how God has loved us comes through making it a habit. We're always making habits. You're never not making a habit. It's either a good habit or a bad habit. But we're habit makers. So reminding yourself needs to be part of a habit. Maybe it's a little micro habit that you make. So I just want to give you three small, doable, micro habits that you and I can develop besides listening to sermons that can help us behold the love of God towards us in Christ. You ready? One could be just pick up an Advent devotional for the season that we're in. This is so easy to do. Read a selection each day and close your time with a prayer. Take you 10 minutes if you're slow. This is doable, okay? There's tons of these advents online. You can start one today. Just pick the date that we're at and go for it. Do it day in and day out for the next couple of weeks. It'll give you one simple thought to meditate on throughout the day. It's connected with Scripture. Paul Tripp has a great one called Come Let Us Adore Him. John Piper has one called Good News uh, for Great Joy. There's this wonderful Bible app. You should all get it if you have a cell, have a cell phone. It's called YouVersion, Y-O-U-Version. It's a free app. They give all those Advent devotionals that I just mentioned, plus dozens more, translations of the Bible, videos. And it's all free. It's great. Elise Fitzpatrick has an Advent devotional for families that they can do together as a part for a parent and part for the children, and they're They're connected. Um, that's what our family's doing right now, and it's real short, and it's kind of fun to have activities you can do each week. It's a little micro habit you can develop to help you behold the love of God. Here's another habit you can develop. Participating in communion, which we're gonna do a little bit later today. That should be the habit of a church, not a rare thing. There's something about boldly confessing our need for grace among one another and being reminded that God is glad to supply grace to those who ask. There's something about that that just drills the love of God deeper and deeper into our heart, partly because it's tangible. It's hard to ignore what you can see, touch, taste, smell, and feel, right? And hear The third habit we can develop is this, singing to God together. You ever wonder why there's so many songs about Christmas at Christmas time? It's to help make it a habit. Singing and hearing other brothers and sisters sing to God has the ability to refocus our emotions in a way that mere speaking, mere preaching doesn't have that ability to do. It's a very unique and wonderful gift that God has given to us. Maybe that's your habit in the new year. Make it a habit to be here when we start for the singing so that you can sing with your brothers and sisters and hear them sing these sweet scriptures, these sweet promises of God. Singing also contains a bonding agent. Did you know that? Through built-in repetition and through rumination in our minds, singing literally bonds the truth of God's love to our heart in a way that few habits can. And it also bonds you to the other singers in the room. Because your soul realizes we're singing the same song about the same Savior, and that's cool. Brothers and sisters, as you find ways to behold God's love towards you this week, may it flow out of you to someone else. That's my prayer for you. God loves you. Let's pray. Oh God, who is both holy and His love, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you sacrificed something sacred. For us who do not fully love you. There is no other love in the world like your love. Help us see that, behold that so that we might be satisfied by your amazing love. And help us, Lord, share your love with someone else. Whether it's veterans at Retzel today or whether it's difficult family, friends, and siblings that we'll see later in the week, help us share your love with those who do not know it and desperately need it even as we desperately need your love. Oh God, we thank you for your goodness towards us and your mercy towards us and your kindness towards us. We praise your name. Please change us by your word through the Spirit, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.